Bow your heads with me as we begin with prayer. Heavenly Father, we are here to listen to your word. Feed us, Lord, and quench our thirst for you. In Jesus' name, amen. How do I know I'm saved when I mess up, or even when I mess up? A pretty poignant question. Uh, lots of good questions actually coming from our young people. And of course, this being summer, uh, quite a few of them are missing, you know, the series um, because, you know, of, of vacation and everything. But that's all right. You can always, you can always uh, view the sermons again. Um, recorded, it's being recorded right now. Wouldn't it be nice, wouldn't it be nice uh, if we never messed up after we've been saved? That would be really nice indeed, right? Then I wouldn't be preaching the sermon today. I'd be preaching a, a very different sermon. It would be uh, maybe uh, smooth sailing up on to the second coming of Jesus. Um, but you know, I, I can really identify with this to, uh, with this sermon. I mean, with this question, um, it makes sense for us to be nervous sometimes, perhaps, because we do mess up and a lot sometimes. Um, and so, you know, young people, our youth, uh, our, our young Christians, I do hear you, and I think we all hear them. Um, I've wondered about the same thing myself as a, as a person who's new in the faith. You know, man, I messed up again. Have you ever had that? I messed up again. I hope God does not have a three strikes and you're out. Because, boy, I, str- I struck out a long time ago. Um, But you know, besides the fact that we mess up and we do mess up a lot along, you know, uh, the road to maturity, we have a a few other things, uh, in fact, that make us nervous along the way when we mess up. Uh, And and I'm just going to mention three things. I'm sure there are a lot more. But um, I'm thinking about about three things here. First of all, it's our own kind of theology and maybe kind of a variation to an Adventist theology, which is, you know, I don't want to get into theological jargon jargon here, but Arminian theology or Arminian theology, um, we seem to have this, this belief that we can lose our salvation and, you know, we, we avoid the once saved, always saved theology like the plague. We don't subscribe to that. The second thing is this, that we do have a puritanical or a Puritan inclination or even influence. The Puritans of old had this idea that only God knows who is saved and that nobody knows whether or not they're saved. And so to the, to the Puritans of old, they would encourage people and they would say, persevere every day, obey the Lord, and because you will never, you, you, you just don't know, only God knows. Have you, heard, have you ever heard that before? Or maybe an Adventist variation to that theme. And then, of course, there's this third uh, 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 stream uh, that is um, causing a lot of problems out there. And it's, it's, we live in this shaming culture. You've probably heard of the phrase call out culture and even cancel culture. Famous people are getting called out for their misbehavior, um, getting canceled for messing up big time. The other night, my son and I were talking about M&M. No, it's not the one you, you, know, it's not the one you eat. 
is the rapper Eminem. And says, Dad, Eminem has been canceled out. For, for what, son? For, I mean, for his crazy behavior, for his crazy songs and whatever. whatever. And, and in this shaming culture, it's very easy to, you know, to, to just kind of be, be nervous. The shaming culture, this shaming culture, can make us nervous when we mess up. Maybe somebody will cancel us and shame us and ostracize us and, and so on and so forth. How do we know we're saved even when we mess up? That's a very good question. Whoever, if you're here and you're, and you're the one that asked this question, one of our youth, then I tip my hat to you. This is a very good question indeed. And I want to give you a, a, a simple answer here, just a three-point answer to this. How do we know we're saved even if we mess up or when we mess up? And the first thing I want to say is this. Our assurance of salvation starts, begins and ends with the character of our Father above. That is where we begin and end this topic today, this theme today. Uh, in other words, what kind of a dad do we really have? Can we trust him to pull, us, to pull for us when we mess up? Or is he the kind of dad that says, you know, you know what, you mess up, you're on your own, you're not part of the family anymore, shape up, and then maybe I'll, I'll see you later. I read about the story of, of this dad by the name of, of Frank. Frank is a dad who lives in San Diego, and his son, his son lives somewhere in Denver, Colorado. And that's all he knows, at that, that's all he knew at that time, uh, because friend, uh, Frank's son is really, really messed up. Um, he's there somewhere in Denver, Colorado. Um, he's homeless, uh, he's a heroin addict, and he's on the verge of dying. If he doesn't get any help, he will do soon uh, kill himself shooting himself up with heroin and everything, up, everything. And so Frank, you know, felt a sense of urgency he needed to see, to find his son fast there in Denver, Colorado. So he gets in touch with a, uh, with a homeless advocate there in Denver, and, and um, this guy then hooks him up with a local, an area pastor who, whose church feeds, uh, gives lunches to unsheltered people downtown, there in downtown Denver. And and so Frank, you know, he flies to Denver and then he joins this church and this pastor. And he's really wanting to just look for his son uh, and bring him home. And as they were serving one day, lunches one day, he sees his son from a distance, gaunt and disheveled and, and, and barely able to walk, leaning up against a building. And he knows, you know, my son, you know, it's, it's very easy to see that maybe uh, he's, he's high again and, and, and he's on drugs. And as soon as he sees his son, Frank runs up to his son. He bear hugs him. And his, as his son sees him, as he's you know, uh, running up to him, his son begins to turn away. And, and, and of course, he's too slow. And Frank caught up to him and he bear hugs him and says, Son, let's go home. But the son does not want to go home. And Frank decides to live, uh, to, to do something extraordinary. He decides, he calls his wife and says, I'm going to stay here for a while. And he decides to, to live in the streets of Denver just to be with his son. This is a true story. And so Frank, there he is. He sleeps in the streets on a riverbank. He eats handout sandwiches. 
with his son. He shadows his son wherever he goes. He sees him get sick and in and out of hospitals. He sees him even, you know, uh, stealing stuff so that he could, he could have something to buy for, you know, for, for more drugs for himself. Um, and, and he tries to convince his son, son, please, you, we need to go home. Son, if you die, if you die, me and your mom will die with you. We may be alive on the outside, but we're going to be dead on the inside. Please, let's go home. And news about this dad shadowing his son reaches far and wide and it spreads. And, and then pretty soon the NPR, National Public Radio, gets hold of him and interviews him. And, and in June 2018, he gets interviewed. Um, and one of the questions they ask him is this, why did you do it, Frank? And Frank says, well, you know, it's just the, only, the one thing I could think of. Just go there, be with him and love him. Show him how much family loves him. Show him how, his, how, how much family loves him. That's exactly what Jesus tells us our father is like. Right? Jesus tells us that this is what our father in heaven is like. Have you ever... Have you ever read, or have you ever read in the Bible, the parable? This, one, this is a very famous parable. I'm sure you've heard of it. It's called the parable of the running father. Have you ever heard of that? It's, well, the famous name for it is the, 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 the parable of the prodigal son. In fact, yes, that should be the name for this parable. The parable of the running father. I mean, the parable of the prodigal son is the, the, you know, it's, it's what it's known for. But really, when you look at this story, you will come to realize that redemption only comes when the dad runs to his son, his messed up son, who has hit rock bottom and has come to his senses. Luke chapter 15 verse 20 tells us, and he arose and came to his father. And, get, and take a look at this. But while he was still a long way off, what, did, what does the father do? He, the, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. Another Frank, one much better than Frank, who runs after his own son. You see the picture, the picture of our running father, is the best assurance we have of salvation every time we mess up. That's all the picture we need to remember, really, when we mess up. Of course, of course, the lesson of our, of our running father is, um, you know, the picture of our running father is the best assurance, yes, of our salvation when we, when we mess up, of course. But the lesson we get from this parable is not that we should disrespect our father's love by behaving presumptuously, thinking that we can push the limits of his love by sinning more. We've heard that before, right? That is, that is why I think we Adventists, you know, we shun once saved, always saved because we, all, we, we, we seem to see this as a, an excuse to, not, to never become better than you are or to keep, keep on sinning. The point of this, of, of this parable is that when we do mess up, and get this, you will mess up. I mean, I messed up quite a few times just this past week. When we, the point is this. When we do mess up, in our, struggle, in our struggle to become mature Christians, and by the way, that is the name of the game, that's the name of life, 
to become mature. And maturity, the Bible concept of maturity is different than absolute perfection as some might understand perfection. You know, the point is this. As, as we are struggling along the road towards maturity as Christians, which, by the way, takes the entire lifetime, and along the way, as we, you know, as we mature, we will mess up. It's, it's just a matter of time. If you haven't yet, you will. The point is this, that we have the full assurance that God is right there with us, like Frank, loving us all the way back. That's the point. And that is where we put our trust, our assurance that when we mess up, God is not just going to say, you know what, shape up, and then maybe we'll talk again. The picture of our Father above running towards us when we mess up is is our best picture of redemption. It's our best picture of forgiveness. It's our best picture of attachment love. You'll never get a better picture than that. So I want you to do this. Hold on to this mental picture. Think of it often. Think of it often in your prayer, in your meditation. Think of this parable often and what it means because sooner or later we all mess up. It's the best picture of love we can ever see from the lips of Jesus Christ himself, our Savior. But that's not the only thing. Um, we, you know, of course, that is more than enough for us to hold on to. Uh, whenever we mess up. Um, But then there's the confidence we get as well from our Savior himself, from Jesus Christ himself. As I said, maturity is a long, lifelong process. We mess up from time to time. Uh, But our confidence in Jesus is that he has set us free from sins, guilt, and shame. And what's more, he progressively frees us from sins, power over our lives. Taking away sin's guilt with with its sidekick. You know what the sidekick of guilt is? Shame. Shaming us. And and, and sin's power to dominate over us, to rule over our lives. And guess what Jesus replaces these with? He replaces them with joy. Joy in his presence. Joy coming to church Sabbath after Sabbath. Joy serving him. Joy serving others. Joy living your life in the midst of a wicked world. I love, I, you know, I love hymns. I've, I've memorized quite a few of them. And one of these I've memorized is, is an old hymn you, you will recognize, I'm sure. It's called Rock of Ages, Cleft for Me. Anybody know that? Still remember that? Rock of Ages, Cleft for Me. Let me hide myself in thee. Let the water and the blood from thy riven side which flowed. And then it says, Be of sin a double cure. Cure me from what? It's guilt and it's power. We mess up, but we are not condemned. That's really what what it's all about. And yeah, I'm not saying, I'm I'm not giving you an excuse for messing up. All right, I'm just saying it's just, it's just, it's a way, I mean, it's, it's just normal for us to mess up. We, we, we stumble, we fall, but we're not condemned. That's a very important thing for us to notice. In Romans chapter 8, uh, Paul begins with that. There is now no condemnation is us to those that love God and are walking in His Spirit, right? We stumble and fall, but we're not condemned. We fail, but we're not enslaved. 
it matters a great deal. Why? Because we are children of God. We are family to God. That's how he treats us. And, and who Jesus frees is free indeed. That's what we, we, we find in Romans chapter 8, verses 35 and 36. The slave, he says, does not remain in the house of God forever. The son, that's you, or the children, the sons and daughters, that would be you, us. We remain forever. Why? If the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Jesus Christ frees you frees us from the guilt that would weigh us down, that would shame us until, you know, we can no longer handle it. And he also frees us as we walk with him throughout the entire length of our life. He, 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 he frees us from those besetting sins that have enslaved us all our lives. He says, I can do it, I'll do it for you. And if I set you free, Take it to the bank. You will be free indeed. And that is, you know, that is an assurance. That is a big assurance when we mess up. First of all, once again, that we are not condemned. Second of all, that we are not enslaved. Robert Salzman had a pretty uh, messed up childhood. He gets in with the wrong crowd and, and he leads a life of crime and he, he eventually ends up in jail. For his crimes. And in 2001, he is released from prison. But having spent all most of his adult life in prison, he doesn't really know how to live a joyful life, a, a life of freedom outside of the prison cell. He, didn't, he doesn't know how to do it. He couldn't hold a job. He, you know, he feels out of sorts and he feels no joy whatsoever. Uh, he might as well be in prison still. Um, He's in and out of homeless shelters, and for nine years, he lives like that. He lives like that. He's free, but he's not really free. Um, the joy of being free finally comes to Robert in the most unexpected way, and it comes to him in this way. Robert is riding in a, in a um, New York subway one day when uh, across from him is a movie and writer, movie writer and director, um, and this director, movie writer, uh, notices him. Uh, because Robert, you see, if, you've been, if you're an ex-con, I, I guess I've, I've never been in jail, so do I have the, the look of an ex-con? I don't think so, but um, Robert, Robert uh, apparently does have that look, a stern look, you know, an ex-con look, whatever that means. And, you know, this guy spots him from across where he's, he's sitting, and he goes up to him and says, hey, listen, hey, I'm trying to make a movie here. Um, and I have this character, and this character looks a lot like you. I have an ex-con character for my movie, and you fit the bill. Do you want to try out? Do you want to do it? And and, and says, sure. And so he goes and auditions, and he gets the role. And, and so one day, um, the whole cast and, uh, of, this, of this movie goes on a, uh, a location shooting to... Um, uh, in a, in a long-distance, I mean long-distance, a Long Island prison cell. Um, pretty familiar for, uh, uh, for, for Robert. And so he, he says to himself, oh, this is really bizarre. I've been out of prison for nine years, and now I'm back, and I'm back as a movie star. Um, and so, you know, the shooting goes, and mid-afternoon comes, and he falls into deep sleep on a cot in a prison cell. 
he falls asleep and flashes of his prison life zooms in and out of his subconscious dreams. And then he wakes up and he gets startled and he gets disoriented because he finds himself in a jail. And he starts to cry because he's thinking, wait a minute, those nine joyful, joyless years I had as, as being free, was that just a dream? Am I really still in, in a jail, in prison? And he really thinks that he's still in prison. He starts to cry and he despairs. And then he starts to look around his cell and he realizes, hey, my cell is open. So he gets up, he walks across, and, and he, he crosses a threshold, and there he sees all his buddies, all of those people, you know, the cast and the crew of, of the movie. And he says, wait a minute, I'm not really in prison, I'm free. I'm free. He's been free for nine years, but that day he, found, he finds joy. He finally finds joy because he finally realizes that he's really free. If the sun sets you free, you will be free. Indeed, even when you mess up, Jesus is working on you to be absolutely free from your besetting sins. He has already taken care of the guilt, by the way. He no longer condemns you even when you mess up. That would be a sad family to be part of when every time you mess up, you're being shamed. And sometimes we think the worst of God that way. And he's not. He's not. Add to the picture of the running father the picture of our powerful Savior setting us free from sin's guilt and from sin's power. And you will never question, you will never question whether you're in and out of the family, even when you mess up. Because if your mom and dad is as loving as I know you that they are, the more you mess up, the more they will love you. The more they will run to you and try to help you out. That's what our Heavenly Father is like. That's what he's like. Um, now, of course, if there's a second reason, there's a third reason, a third assurance. And uh, can, can you see this? I mean, if, if it's the Father and the Son, then you know who's coming next, right? It's the Holy Spirit. It is our friend, the Holy Spirit. Jesus says that all who attach themselves to him get to have the full and the constant companionship of the Holy Spirit. That's your privilege. That's your privilege as a child of God. That's your privilege when you attach yourself to Jesus Christ in love. Um, the Holy Spirit. Scripture says that the Holy Spirit's friendship is a family privilege. And when you give yourself to Jesus Christ, you become family. And it's not a messed up family in the sense that God is that stern father that, you know, with you know, a stern task stern taskmaster that tells you shape up or ship out I guess there's a place for tough love sometimes but the father is just not that way every day with his with his uh, with his children Romans 8:26 gives us this picture beautiful picture of the holy spirit it says likewise the spirit helps us in our weakness for we do not know what to pray for as we ought. When we mess up, we just say, you know, you know, 
You know, we know exactly what we've done and we're embarrassed, even ashamed to go up to our Father. Guess what the Holy Spirit is already doing on our behalf? The Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. He's already doing it for you before you can do it for yourself. Wow. What a, what a, what a friend. Do you have a friend like that? Do you have a friend that, that, that sticks closer than a brother? Do you? Well, as Christians, we have that friend that has been promised us as a privilege for being family. And you, we all are part of God's family because we have accepted Jesus as our Savior and our Lord. Let me tell you about Billy. Billy is a typical kid. Boisterous, you know, a little bit haughty, you know, a, a little bantering. He's bantering with his friends one day. You know, one crack, one wise crack after another, kind of just, you know, you know he, he, gets, he, he gets carried away and he wishes that he could take back the last wise crack, the last quick he makes because uh, what he said got him into deep, deep trouble. He got bullied because of what he said. You know what he said? He said, well, you know, who's your, you got a, he, he says to his friend, do you have a famous uncle? Because I do. Jay Leno is my uncle. Oops, he, as soon as he says that, he's, he says to himself, what have I just done? And then, but he keeps going and says, well, not only that, my uncle Jay is going to come and pick me up and he's going to drive me around after school in his Lamborghini. Lamborghini. He, <laughs> and so, and so and his friends start to ridicule him. They say, really? When is that going to happen, Billy? Or are you just lying, Billy? And they start calling him Billy the big liar. Billy the big liar. So Billy, the big liar, just messed up really bad. Um, and so, he, you know, uh, Billy gets, uh, gets bullied by his friends. They jeer at him, Billy, Billy, the big liar. Jay Leno he is his uncle. It does rhyme. Billy, Billy, the big liar. Jay Leno is his uncle. And so out of desperation, Billy finally says to himself, you know what, I'm going to go for broke here. I'm going to write, I'm gonna write uh, a Jay Leno. And he does go ahead and write, write uh, Jay Leno. Jay Leno reads the story, uh, his story. And you know, he's asking him, um, Jake, you know, he says, you know, can you be my friend and just bail me out? Because, you know, I really did bad. I, I, I said this. And um, Jay Leno is fascinated by the story. And he, one day he, he calls Billy and he talks to Billy's mom and uh, he decides to play along. He says, all right, Billy, why don't we do it next week? I'll show up in, in my Lamborghini and, and, uh, and we'll, you know, we'll play our roles, right? And so the day comes. The day comes. Um, Jay Leno waits, in, waits until the buses are parked in front of the school. And the kids are hanging out, you know, waiting for the buses and, and, and so on, wait, waiting to board. Um, as soon as that happens, Jay pulls up in his 1986 Lamborghini contact. Show that, show that contact right there. It's, ooh, yeah. See that? Beautiful car. You know, I'll own one of those one day in heaven. He opens the doors, and the doors swing up into the sky. <laughs> they don't open sideways. They open up. And lo and behold, comes out Billy. Billy, the big liar, comes out. And, um, 
And um, Billy goes, hey, bye, Uncle Jay. I'll see you later. And Jay goes, okay, Billy, take care. I'll pick you up next week, and we'll go driving. And then the doors shut down, and you should have seen all, you know, all the, you know, all the jaws are hanging. And Billy silences the crowd, and he's never been bullied ever since because he, he, he's proven his point. Jay Leno is my uncle. Meanwhile, Jay Leno drives away hysterical. Funny story, right? But the point is that Jay Leno might be this cool, cool friend, but the Holy Spirit is way cool. He's way cooler. He may not have a Lamborghini, but he has, he covers your back every single time. He sticks to you closer than your closest, br- than your brother. And he bats for you even when you cannot bat for yourself. That's who he's li- what, what he's like. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Yes, we mess up even after we're saved. It's normal. Don't worry too much about it. What worries me is that, you know, if you just kind of uh, beholden to your sins so much that, you know, you decide to just leave the kingdom altogether. But when we're family, messing up is not so scary. When we have a Father who loves to run towards us, when we have a Savior who frees us, and when we have a Spirit who is always close to help us, then we have nothing to worry about. Nothing whatsoever to worry about, worry about. Because we know that God's got our back even when we mess up. Yes, Father, this is our story. Our story is hidden in your bigger story of love, of redemption, and of friendship to all of us. We thank you that when we mess up, we are not condemned, rather we are helped. When we fall, we are not left alone. We are helped. When we forget, we have someone to remind us because we are family. We belong to your forever family. Thank you for this assurance. In Jesus' name, amen.